0: a battle going on today for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for America Can We Talk with Debbie Addis On America Can We Talk, we talk truth about America and why it matters to you. America Can We Talk starts now.
1: And welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to America Can We Talk. This is Debbie Addis. I'm so happy you've tuned in tonight. So much has happened since our show, just when we could go tonight. Last week, July 3rd, we were just saying Happy Independence Day. We had a very special show, Dedicated Independence Day. And so much has happened this past week, and we're going to dedicate the whole first hour of this show, America Can We Talk, tonight, talking not just about what happened in Dallas with a sniper killing five Dallas police officers, but really the extremely profound consequences that could befall America if we don't handle this whole challenge correctly and if we can't get to honestly talking about the various things that gave rise to the situation to start with. So I'm going to start, we're going to talk about this the entire evening. I want to start tonight with a very short clip. Clip one, Dallas Police Chief David Brown.
2: Our profession is hurting. Dallas officers are hurting. We are heartbroken. There are no words to describe the atrocity that occurred to our city. All I know is that this, this must stop, this divisiveness between our police and our citizens.
1: That was Dallas Police Chief and just fabulous man, David Brown. You know, I'm sure unless you've been sleeping under a rock the last week, you're aware that on Thursday night we had a, a, a otherwise reportedly peaceful protest by the Black Lives Matter movement. And uh, in the middle of that, a sniper, um, shots rang out, a sniper, a single, lone actor, sniper, killed five Dallas police officers. Um, and that was what the incident that this uh, chief chief of police david brown was responding to i want to in this opening segment just tell you we're going to talk this whole hour about this i want to start by honoring um, the individuals who are killed and just by saying their names and if i mispronounce anyone i'm extremely sorry but dallas police officer patrick zamaripa michael smith michael kroll Lorne Ahrens, and DART officer Brent Thompson were all killed this past Thursday, July 7th, by a lone sniper named Micah Johnson. And the Dallas, uh, the Black Lives Matter protest that was held this week, and not just in Dallas, but around the country, really in large part uh, occurred because of two incidents and the, just a few days before that, in which individuals were killed by police officers in other states. Uh, In Baton Rouge, Louisiana, Alton Sterling was killed on July 5th. Uh, He was an individual selling CDs in the parking lot of a convenience store. We're going to talk much more about that case. And then in Falcon Heights, which is near Minneapolis, Minnesota, on Wednesday, July 6th, Philando Castile was killed by a police officer, killed by shooting, and those two incidents, both victims in those cases were black, and the Black Lives Matter protest uh, around the country was based on those plus past incidents that they were, that, um, that, ha- that resulted, had police officer resulting in the death of a young black person. I do want to talk about the Black Lives Matter movement tonight a lot, and there, I, I discovered in getting ready for this show that the Black Lives Matter movement was actually founded by three women, Opal Tomete, Temi- Opal Alicia Garza, and Patrice Cullors, three young black women who started the Black Lives Matter movement, and they started after the Ferguson, Missouri killing of Michael Brown. And we're going to talk a lot about not just what this— this time, as people look back at this time in American history, how we handle the challenges, the tension in our country, how we handle the challenges and the tension between the police and and black citizens. And I will say to the credit of the Black Lives Matter movement founders, they did issue a statement after this evil sniper killed five Dallas police officers. They did issue a statement saying their movement is about peace and ending violence um, it's important to know that the Dallas shooter uh, said that he was motivated in doing these killings. He was motivated by the Black Lives Matter movement and that he wanted to kill more whites, especially police officers. So folks, we are at a major crossroads in America right now. There are huge consequences looming. The tension between the police and the black community, between the races, it's being fomented. There are forces behind this that are not good. The left as usual is trying to silence any viewpoint or even discussion of any facts that doesn't fit their agenda. The real facts matter and we're gonna talk about them. I'm also going to say at this outset, 99% of all Americans of all races have the same goal. We want just a just society. We want peace. We want a violence-free society. We can work toward that, but we cannot work toward that if we can't even agree on what the facts are, what the truth is. Facts matter. Truth matters. And the words of the famous Andrew Bartbright, facts are not mean. They're just Acts. And we're going to talk about those in the context of many of these incidents and the context with the Black Lives Matter impact is on the black community in America. And we want to be fair to everyone, but that does not ever mean that we... So we never want to generalize about any person or an individual. We don't want to generalize about black Americans, and we don't want to generalize about police officers. You know, Sarah Palin came out saying the Black Lives Matter movement is a farce. It's not exactly a farce. I think she's wrong, but there is a vital role they have to play if they want to be taken seriously in the American political conversation. This is Debbie George-Ass, America Can We Talk. We're going to come back after this break and talk about who's to blame in Dallas for the shootings this past Thursday night.
2: All I know is that this this must stop, this divisiveness between our police and our citizens.
1: Welcome back to America. Can we talk? This is Debbie Jarjatis. You know, this is a very somber weekend in America, and it should be. It should be a time for reflection. And all of us, every race and ethnicity in this country— uh, yeah, I should say, ninety nine percent of this country feels deeply saddened by the loss of these five Dallas, four Dallas police officers, and one Dallas um, Dart officer, um, and we obviously no one celebrates the uh, death of the the uh, young men who are causing the Black Lives matter black lives matter protest movement to start i mean no one wants to, we love life we don't want to have violent death in america so there's certainly sympathy with every family involved and who, who's lost someone in this uh this very challenging time but you know the show is all is about I, I always say we talk truth about america and we do that and we talk truth about the culture and fabric of the American society and we talk truth about the facts that give rise to our decisions and our policies in America because and I want to address specifically the Black Lives Matter movement you know first and foremost and lots of people have said it and I will say it too truly the one person who's responsible for the uh, shooting of the Dallas officers this past Thursday night in Dallas is the shooter I mean he is the one and he's dead he's fortunate I'm, I'm glad he's dead I'm glad we don't have to spend millions of dollars on a criminal prosecution and figure out if we can finally put him in jail or something I'm glad he's gone but he's the one person truly in charge truly responsible having said that it's really incumbent on in all of us to look at what societal factors shaped him what motivated him why would he do such a horrific thing and Many have been pointing to some of the language in social media, and I'm not going to read you a lot of these, but I'm going to read you a few of these, because we live in a culture more and more shaped by social media. And by social media, I mean Twitter, Facebook, I suppose Instagram, I don't hear of as many things on uh, that are political in nature, on Instagram, but pretty much as Twitter and Facebook, and these are... These are sources where young people who used to, and maybe in other generations, gather news from newspapers or listening to the evening news or actually going to school and paying attention. But now they gather their news and their worldview from social media. So here are just a, a small collection. I'm holding uh, literally a page of whatever, 25 or 30. I mean, it's like 10 pages, 25 or 30 uh, tweets that were put out after this man shot, this, shot the Dallas police officers. Here's one. Two police officers shot down in Dallas, Texas just now. And you know what? I don't even feel sorry for those dirty, the B word. And then hashtag F the police. And then they have numerous of them. I'm quite happy about the Dallas shootings. An eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. F the police. Many of them have hashtag Black Lives Matter. I don't feel for the cops that got killed or injured tonight. You don't care about us? Why should I feel pity for you? F the police. They go on and on and on and on and on. And there are many, many uh, instances where we've heard tweets and we've heard um, you know, people commenting before the, the uh, shooting this past Thursday uh, advocating for the um, killing police, advocating for hating police. And there have been Black Lives Matter Excuse me, Black Lives Matter protesters who chant things that incite ignorant people to violence. And right now, I want to have you just hear a brief thing. Clip seven. Here you go.
3: This group marching at the state fair chanting horrific uh, things. Pigs in a blanket.
1: What those people were chanting, if you could not make it out, this is the Minnesota State Fair. A Black Lives Matter protest chanting, pigs in a blanket, fry 'em like bacon. Okay, now you and probably everyone listening to this show are rational and thoughtful people. You are not going to be swayed by morons in Black Lives Matter protests or on Twitter or on Facebook chanting things like that. You're not going to say, gee, I'm, my worldview is being shaped by that. But some people are. In fact, lots of people need guardrails in this country. They need social media to be responsible. And I'm going to get to what we can do about this in a second. I want to play one other clip that was being that was this a New York City chant the Million March in December this past year is clip 8. <laughs> Yeah, you know what these are I, I hope you could hear those clips and I can put links to them on the America Can we talk Facebook page. What they're chanting is what do we want? Dead cops, when do we want it now? So I'm telling you these things to say you may not be privy to the kind of social media where these conversations happen regularly. But lots of people are. And I think as a start for healing in this country, a start for moving beyond what happened in Dallas, we need more leaders. Leaders of the Black Lives Matter movement, the founders of it, the leaders of it, President Obama, every single left wing Al Sharpton, Jesse Jackson, to be daily, verbally denouncing this kind of stuff, speaking up. And just, I, I will give President Obama some credit in his post, his comments after the Dallas event. He did say, this was a despicable, horrible act. It can never justify. This violence is never justified. But this stuff in social media, this is what informs, sadly, the most ignorant among us. And it's just, Vital that we recognize that when you have something like this happen, you think, what happened to this guy? Why would he do this? This is one example of why he would do this. You know, another big thing about social media to keep in mind is that you used to have people, not that journalism is necessarily always an honorable <laughs> occupation but you used to have people who are trained journalists who knew about the idea of checking their facts before they put things out who had editorial boards to say you know that really shouldn't be printed we're not too sure about that story we don't know what's right social media is a untethered unregulated and should be i mean i'm in favor of the first amendment should be but people put things on social media with zero responsibility for a, a, a zero sense of integrity for truth they don't have any filter. There is no one saying, "Hey, wait, you can't really say that." Now, you know, we, I, as I say, I'm very supportive of the First Amendment, but recognizing, um, recognize almost everything you read on social media, you should me read with a big grain of salt. Go back to the source document. Read that document. Read other documents because people put junk out there. And I want to get to a couple junk things that really, really matter. In Dallas, in this protest that happened, that ended tragically with the killing of Dallas police officers, there were people in the crowd yelling, up, yelling hands up, don't shoot, putting their arms up and down, hands up, don't shoot. And... They were taunting the police with this. Well, that goes back, as I'm sure you know, to the summer of 2014 when Michael Brown was killed in Ferguson, Missouri. He was killed, a young black man killed by a white police officer. The grand jury looked into that case, heard all of the evidence, and concluded... There was not a basis to even file criminal charges against a police officer, and one of the main pieces of evidence, so poignant and it's so important that you understand this, was the very last witness was a black woman who witnessed the whole thing, who said, "I don't like the police. I didn't come voluntarily. I never cooperate with the police." But that officer had no choice. The lie. Put out by the media that Michael Brown was say had his hands up was trying to surrender, is a complete lie. It's like believing global warming. It's so false. It's just completely false. But. He it was put out there, and the protesters, the Black Lives Matter movement, uses that "hands up, don't shoot." It's a lie. It's like going out and protesting over something is completely fabricated. And this is what I, I'm trying to get this idea of how we resolve, how we move forward. One thing that has to happen: responsible leaders. In the Black Lives Matter movement, politicians on both sides of the aisle, the, the Congressional Black Caucus, who's always out there advocating for whatever the Black Lives Matter movement wants, they need to be telling that truth. Because I think a lot of protesters say, wait a minute, we're protesting about a lie? That didn't happen. But the lie benefits the Democrats. The lie benefits the Black Lives Matter movement. The lie benefits the people in Washington who love a bigger, stronger government. And so the lie will continue to be told because there is no moral fiber. There is no moral courage on that side of the aisle to say that didn't happen. You know, we can talk about all the cases that the Black Lives Matter movement so regularly speaks about. And we will, from time to time, we'll talk a little bit more about Eric Garner, that case where the supervising officer standing right there, Eric Garner resisted arrest and put, it was pressure upon him because he resisted arrest. The supervising officer standing right there was black, is black, never said that's too much force. Later he passed away. It's very sad, but it was not a case of white officers setting out off trying to hurt someone. And the Freddie Gray case, but maybe he'll take up after the next break. But every case, there are, I'm not saying, folks, that the police officers are always right. There are cases of bad action, police brutality, wrong actions by police. In that case, we as a society, no matter who the victim is, must come out and speak up and demand justice, demand investigation, demand prosecution. And for the most part, that's happening. But we can't be protesting and shaping public policy on lies. we come back, we'll talk about more lies having to do with statistics and crime in America because we can't solve this problem about crime in America. America without dealing with truth, this is Debbie George addis and America. Can we talk?
3: Can you hear us now?
1: And welcome back to America. Can we talk? This is Debbie George addis again. This is a somber weekend in Texas and really around America as we all watch what happened, watch in horror what happened in Dallas this past Thursday as five police officers were killed by a sniper who said and told the police he was motivated by the Black Lives Matter movement by wanting to kill whites, and especially policemen who are white. And so the, the just racial hatred exuding from this person uh, is, is deeply troubling, and he's not alone. There is just that our, our social media is full of more examples of just willingness to speak in hateful ways toward fellow Americans, and we cannot move forward divided that should not be necessary to say but it really is i want to talk in this segment about two things i was talking before the segment the uh break about the idea that you know social media puts so many stories out there and actually they put up videos so in the instance of the uh, young man um in minnesota who was killed by a police officer this past weekend and his name again was in falcon falcon heights near minneapolis minnesota named philando castile Within uh, whatever it was, two hours, as protesters uh, got together outside the governor's mansion, the governor of Minnesota, um, whose name is Mark Dayton, addressed the crowd. This is without a police investigation, without a police report, without a grand jury investigation, no investigation except a video filmed by the girlfriend of the person who was killed in the car who knows at what point in the interaction it was turned on who knows what else the police cameras captured but this governor went out on a limb and said would this have happened if those passengers would have been white i don't think it would have okay talk about who appointed you fact investigator you know judge and jury Nobody. It is egregiously, he's patronizing protesters, he's patronizing the American left, he's patronizing the narrative the left is trying to spread about all of this. This is just, and, and he's not alone, but he's a good good example of too many of us are willing to watch the social media, to watch the video that's played over and over and over and over and over and over and over on television and on face, different people's Facebook pages, and it becomes truth to you and you don't ever stop to think in in a real jury, in a real trial, you actually get to hear all the evidence before you form a judgment. And the same way any young person, black, white, or whatever, would not want to be judged by a snippet in time, by a sliver of a, of a recording of something he or she did, they'd want the whole story known. Well, so do the police and the police deserve that same sense of justice we have That we reserve in our, our system for everyone. Well, you know, I want to turn to um, a uh this, this story about crime statistics in America, and that was it played a big role in something President Obama said shortly after um the he or. I guess shortly after the second instance this past week, after Baton Rouge and then the Falcon Heights incidents, incidences, President Obama uh, made a statement. In his remarks on Thursday, he said, African Americans are 30% more likely than whites to be pulled over. And last year were shot by the police at more than twice the rate of whites. And so he's bringing statistics into it. And this is an example, and I say that, The left has a rule that they can they can introduce facts that support their view. But if anyone else wants to introduce facts that they're not allowed and somehow you can't be talking about these other facts. But folks, if we're ever going to resolve the issues between the police and, and everyone acknowledges. All sides of the aisle, there is a problem between the police in America and the black community in America in many places. Not all places. And things are getting better. And police officers, police departments are hiring more black officers. And many communities voluntarily or at the prodding of the federal government are working to create better relationships with people in their communities. But I got to tell you, we cannot solve the issue by lying or hiding the truth about the, problem, the crime problem in black America. And it is, you know, it is not every black, of course it's not, it's not generalized to all blacks, but you can look at facts that come from the FBI's own crime statistics and realize there's a problem with crime in the black communities in America. And there is a deliberate ignorance, a deliberate obfuscation or hiding of these facts by the Black Lives Matter activists because they don't want to talk about the truth. They want to just talk about the the cases they want to talk about, but not about the context. So I'm just going to give you a few statistics. And and, and here, I'm just going to roll with them. I know they're hard in the radio. I promise I'll try to say them slowly. But the statistics are overwhelming in this country that this narrative that the Black Lives Matter movement is trying to push, that there's some war on young black men by the police in this country, is a lie. It's a statistical lie. It's a factual lie. It does not mean that there aren't black officers who or there aren't officers of any color who do things that aren't right. Who may engage who may be nervous or whatever the reason is or have some bad motive and and take action against someone that's wrong. In that case in our country we all need to stand up and say we insist to be investigated. We insist a grand jury look at it. We insist that there are charges be pressed if charges are justified but we have to deal with the facts of how we got here and how we're going to get out of it. So let me share just a few. There are over, in this country, over 6,000 black Americans die of homicide, die by being murdered each year on average. That is more than the white and the Hispanic homicide victim numbers together, even though blacks are only 13% of the population. And the reason they're dying of homicide at a rate six times higher then it's a rate of six times higher. Let me say that again. Black Americans suffer, are victims of homicide at a rate six times higher, the combined rate of whites and Hispanics, and it's due to the large number of murders committed by black Americans of other Americans. Homicide is, the homicide rate among black Americans is eight times the rate of the homicides committed by whites and Hispanics combined. Okay, and you know they're just. I'm going to give you a few more. Um, Black males in America make up forty percent of all cop killers. Forty percent of the cop killed people who kill policemen in America are black black males, and that black males are only six percent of the population. I'm going to give you a few more statistics because I, I know it's hard. Maybe you can go and listen to the podcast of this show, but it's vital to understand the statistical context. That officers and even though officers probably couldn't recite all these numbers, they know that their work is largely centered in black majority areas where crime rates are the highest. They go in, and largely because the Black Lives Matter movement, they go into low income neighborhoods and black neighborhoods, and they have, they face suspicion and fear and sometimes attack. And yet they're they're putting their lives out to protect black Americans let me back up one more second before I give you more statistics one more thing I wanted to say about the march on Thursday night and many commentators have said this but it just the police officers in Dallas and around this country their job is to put their lives at risk every day protecting people I know what I would do if I were someplace and I heard shots ringing out I would run for cover and so would everyone listening to this show Except if you're a police officer, the police officers run toward the gunfire. They put their lives at risk. They help rescue people who are in harm's way. They live their lives doing this. And police officers, generally speaking, are assigned to the more high crime area. Something is is where they're assigned to go. They live and breathe in these communities. The, a, a large majority of the work, black, I mean, that work that police officers do in this country is protecting blacks in high-crime neighborhoods, protecting the innocent. That's what they do. Well, let me get a few more statistics out. Just to contrast this picture that President Obama is trying to paint that somehow blacks are being picked on, black males between the ages of 14 and 17 commit a homicide at 10 times the rate of white and Hispanic male teens combined. The nations that... Our country's police killed 987 civilians in the year 2015. This is according to the liberal Washington Post. Killed 987 civilians. 50% or 493 of those victims were white. And blacks were 26%. So they're still killing. They're killing more whites than blacks. Um, And in America's 75 largest counties in 2009... So America's 75 largest counties in 2009, blacks constituted 62% of all robbery defendants, 57% of all murder defendants, 45% of all assault defendants, defendants being the one accused, and only 15% of the population. And you know, I heard another one, another statistic I just have to share with you. And again, these are from the Department of Justice. They're not just you know flying off the handle. They're, they're with, from real data. A police officer is 18 times more likely to be shot by a black male than an unarmed black male is to be shot by a police officer. Folks, these statistics tell you we have a problem, a massive problem, but it's not police picking on black Americans. It's a problem we all have to embrace and care for work to solve. And after the break, we're going to talk about just how we can go about doing that. Debbie George America Can We Talk. welcome back i'm so glad you've tuned in to america can we talk tonight this is debbie georgias and we're doing a special it's kind of like a dedicated special first hour just to not just to the uh tragedy in dallas this past thursday but how do we as a nation we as a nation made up of people of every background um you know skin color ethnicity how do we come together and heal and i think that is in the hearts of everyone you know there was a very touching facebook video i put up um it's on the uh, ladies can we talk facebook page and on the america can we talk facebook page and it was people lining up to hug dallas police officers the day after this horrific shooting this sniper shooting during the black lives matter protests in dallas and i mean it was just heart melting was people of You know, wide background of ages and and blacks and whites, just Americans coming together. And I just, I loved it because I do think in the heart of most Americans, nearly all of them, there is a desire to have us heal and, and it's a desire for each person, but on the part of each person to want to be treated with respect to have you know, Black Lives Matter protesters, not the ones with the political agenda I'm about to talk about, but the actual people in, involved in these shootings and, and, or who've lost family members and who have had a sense their whole lives that somehow the police department isn't fair with, with black Americans. They want to be heard, they want to be respected. They are entitled to that. They're not entitled to only consider or deal with the facts that support their view all of us have to be willing to hear all the facts. I will happily listen and read about cases in which a police officer truly was out of line and then I'm right in line with those who say, you know, you gotta punish those cases very severely when an officer does act in a a way that's uh, criminally culpable, it's wrong. But we can't come together as a society in uh, in part uh, on these issues because in the part of some people, there is a political agenda, and I want to get to that. I want to talk about what the, the uh, you know, the, the uh, mantra of many on the American left, I think it was Rahm Emanuel who said it first, but never let a good crisis go to waste. Whoever it was who said it, this is what the left is, is headed for, the radical left in this country is headed toward. This idea that because of this very sad incident and other incidents of gun violence in America— that we need to head toward having more uh, federal control over our society, more uh, gun control, just more federal control over all of society. And, you know, I was just thinking back to the Orlando tragedy where this, this young uh, Muslim man uh, went into a gay nightclub and murdered in cold blood 49 other people there who were patrons of this gay nightclub. And the Obama administration still does not have the integrity to admit that Islam teaches that homosexuals should be stoned. He doesn't have the integrity to admit that the motivation of this killer in Orlando was was Islam? Islam is what drove him to kill those people. Instead, in that case, he and some other people on the left, some of the media on the left, tried to blame the um, uh, fact that that Republicans speak up for traditional marriage, and so they call speaking up for traditional marriage anti-gay rhetoric. They actually blamed anti-gay rhetoric on this murder in Orlando instead of blaming the real cause, which was. The motivation that the guy said he had, the shooter said he had. Same thing has happened with this Dallas event. And we're going to go and, and we play a quick clip, clip five, what, what Obama was trying to say about this
2: uh, Dallas shooter.
1: First of all, I, I think it's very hard to untangle the motives of this shooter.
2: He said he was upset about the recent police shootings. The suspect said he was upset at white people. The suspect stated he wanted to kill white people, especially white officers.
1: Okay, I'm not that confused, really. I mean, after I hear the Dallas police chief saying what the shooter said, I get it. And the thing is, what's troubling is President Obama gets it. He knows what that guy said. He knows what the Dallas police chief quoted the killer as saying. When the killers tell us why they're doing these things, it's okay to believe it. But I'm saying this to say there's a very harsh political agenda in the American left to use incidents like this to increase an agenda they have always had. In the case of President Obama, he does not like the Second Amendment. He's outrageous to him that police cannot confiscate our guns. It's outrageous that we can't control guns or that he doesn't get to set policy of who gets guns and who doesn't. So they are headed down. We're going to see a growth in this over the summer. Because uh, folks, I, I hate to say these words, I hate to be negative, but we are going to have we're in for a violent summer in America. We're in for a violent summer starting in a week when the GOP convention starts in Cleveland, the following week when the Democrat convention starts in Philadelphia. We're in for a potentially, I'll put that qualifier, potentially violent summer. There are going to be calls for gun grabbing by this president and his ilk and Congress over and over and over, and we have to recognize They've always wanted to grab your guns. This is just an excuse. This is just the latest excuse. And a similar thing President Obama said, which I think warrants, um, yeah, in fact, he talked about gun control, and I want to just have you uh, play a quick uh, clip six what President Obama said about that. Today is a wrenching reminder of the sacrifices that they make for us. We also know that when people are armed with powerful weapons, Unfortunately, it makes attacks like these more deadly and more tragic. And in the days ahead, we're going to have to consider those realities as well. Understand, folks, this is a pretext like every other pretext that president has had. And if you, you know, I'll tell you truthfully, I'm not a big gun person. I'm a really good shot. A really good shot. But because I've had handled guns quite a bit, but I don't I, we don't have a gun. I'm not big into guns. But I know the Second Amendment is there and it is not there for, you know, to go skeet shooting or to protect the right of the people to go skeet shooting. It's there to keep a balance of power between the people and the government. And the Second Amendment is just as important as the First Amendment right to freedom of speech and religion. And we have to watch the left because they're going to, this is going to be their effort. And they're going to be trying to say, arguing that they are doing this to help us. Okay. Another thing I want to tell you about, though, with the left, another dangerous political direction out of this incident. And then I'm going to get to what we really are the positive things that we can do to try to help America to take us back toward healing. I was watching CNN earlier today, and there was a woman on as one of their experts. Her name is Angela Rye. She's a CNN political commentator. She's also a former executive director of the Congressional Black Caucus. And she's a very attractive woman. And she was talking about, you know, different issues. But she got on the subject. The question was, how are we going to deal with the racial tension that exists between the police department and the black community in America? How are we going to solve this? What do you think? And what she said was so, uh, to me, outrageous. Uh, Not to me. It was outrageous. She was talking about, we have to start, we have to go back to admitting that America is a systemically, systemically racist Country. We have to admit that. And she actually talked about it being from the time of our founding. She said, to solve the issue of police brutality in America, we must admit pervasive institutional racism stemming from our founders. She complained about the fact that in the Constitution, the founders had written in that black Americans in the South, who were at that time slaves, only counted for three fifths of a person. And she went on to say, if you look at me today and you try to say I'm only three fifths of a person, well, then how can we ever move anywhere? How can we move forward? And folks, I'm sorry. I cannot believe a woman got the position she's held and is viewed as a commentator on CNN. I want to just put a little comma here as my lawyer background and patriotic American background. The Constitution does say that in counting the number of residents every state has in order to determine how many members you have representing you in Congress, that slaves could only be counted as three-fifths of a person. It wasn't an insult to the slaves. They put that in there in the Constitution as an attack on slavery, to diminish the power of the South, to not give the slave-holding South the slaves didn't have, couldn't vote, and so the founders were trying to prevent the Southern slave owners from having more power to push their slavery agenda. And by the way, these are the Democrats, don't lose sight of that, the Democrats who pushed this slave-owning South, who pushed the slavery agenda. At that time, the Southern states hoped to include their slaves in the population in order to acquire additional representation in Congress to advance their political position. So back to Angela Rye, CNN alleged expert. There's two things I want to get at about what she had to say. One is the three-fifths there rule there on the Constitution was there to punish the South for being slave owners, to diminish the power of the slave owners to control the agenda in Congress. But number two... If we're as a country going to say in the year 2016, after we fought a voluntary civil war to end slavery, after we went through the civil rights movement, after we wrote statutes to protect the rights of all Americans, after we have been through a celebration of our equality as citizens, we've been talking about the Declaration of Independence every single July 4th and in between – We have lived as a country with a determination to honor the unique individual worth of each person. And what she's saying is, from the founding, and she riffed on and on about the founders, but because of the founding of our country, we have to admit the entire country is plagued with institutional racism, which must be admitted to before we can move forward. See, folks, this is someone whose argument, and someone as a person, who is an unappeasably angry left-wing fool. There is no reason to engage this argument. We're not going to go back to the founding. We're not going to change the Constitution. We're not going to change history. We are where we are. We have a tremendous country that has made enormous strides, strides, to preserve and protect the rights of the Constitution for everyone. We have tremendous strides to protect our people. We cannot agree with the left-wing agenda to take control of the guns, to take control uh, or to change our history. We need to stand up for the greatness that America is and has. So we're up against this guy's playing music. I think he's telling me this time is almost up. So we're headed toward the top of the hour. In the second hour, we have a guest coming on with us, Catherine Engelbright, founder of True the Vote, and I have my leading ladies here tonight, Chris Davis, Dorinda Randall, don't go away great show coming next in the next hour come back
2: we don't feel much support most days let's not make today most days please we need your support
0: for our second hour round table on America Can We Talk with Debbie Addis?
4: More talking truth about America.
1: And welcome back to America Can We Talk. This is Debbie Addis. I love the second hour round table because I have these six friends who are as politically determined as I am and fun to talk to. And so I have two of them each week. This week I have Gerinda Randall and Chris Davis and I'm so glad they're here. And you know, I spent the whole hours kind of a specially dedicated hour because I really feel like the Dallas police officers who lost their lives this past week kind of deserve that dedication, and because I want America to heal, and, and I, I think everyone does. I don't. I mean, there's except for a few people who are enjoying the division in America, because I think they think it gives them political power. But for the most part, people are grateful that America. It, America is a good country. We know it is. We want to have healing and progress. So. We always have at the top of our second hour, got one question, two rapid fire answers. And I want to go back to the Dallas thing one more time. And I meant to mention, actually, in the first hour, I don't know if you listeners or you you ladies saw this last night, but since the time of the shooting in Dallas on Thursday and the shootings of the two young black men who were killed by police officers earlier in the week in Louisiana and Minnesota, there have been protests growing around the country. We had Baltimore, Baton Rouge had one, Los Angeles, Philadelphia, San Francisco. Just last night in San Antonio, someone actually, gunfire hit the police headquarters in San Antonio. So this is a, it's going to be a a challenging time for this summer, a time for Americans to really work at understanding, listening, and working toward unity. So uh, here's my question, second hour roundtable people, uh, which is Jerinda and Chris. <laughs> so, so I'm most serious. It's very open ended. What do you think? What can you do? What can patriotic Americans do to bring healing to this situation? And it's kind of a two part question. And do you think this Dallas police officer shooting is going to have a big impact in the fall elections? I don't want us to go first, Jerinda. will you
4: well? I I went to church today with my family, and um, and when I did, I I was you know, going in there hoping that he'd deliver a peace message. So that way I did feel at ease with everything and because I was very, very angry and I, I got a watermark. Uh, Chris does too, but we, um, we, I went into watermark and Todd talked about that. Maybe we need to listen more. Maybe the, the thing is, is instead of meeting hate with hate, just like Martin Luther King said, show light in the middle of darkness and that's the only way you get darkness out. If we just were to turn to them and say, what is it that makes you not feel heard? Why do you feel you're not valuable? What is it that we can do to make you feel heard? You know, And he talked about his own marriage. It was hilarious what he went through on that. Um, but just talking about how when you get married, you don't just say, Okay, I don't have to say I love you anymore because of the fact that hey, I said I love you at the altar and we're good, everything's <laughs> we're <dead>. fine. <laughs> and, and he said uh, he said I didn't turn to my wife and say, "Hey, I didn't say I hate you." So now you know that the covenant that I made on our wedding day is still good. Why do I have to keep talking about it? Because but, all wives matter.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, Oh that's okay. very
4: good. Penny, penny, penny. So, anyway, I just thought that that was really interesting is to it, the sad thing is, like with all the stats that you gave, if people knew the truth, then we could get to some change. But also, if we just speak with love, maybe we could get to a different level as well and just
1: listen to this each other. is like other. the individual level response. Mm-hmm. And actually, in some ways, I guess politicians could. Tr- I mean, you have to speak with love and truth. You, you got to speak yeah. with both. But I, I love that. So I don't know. So the question, you know, the question was, what, do you well, be, what are we going to do?
0: I agree with what Dorinda said, and I and I so agree with with how on fire you were in the first hour and the things that that you touched on, and especially the truth, because truth has no agenda. But what we're seeing today is a political narrative that, through social media, through the mainstream media, the, all these things that are happening have to fit a political narrative. Narrative that uh, you know is one from from the liberal side. And, you know, just like you had mentioned that they, in, the liberals insist that all of the counter-Islamic rhetoric provokes jihad. And we can't talk that way. But are they going to admit that anti-cop rhetoric inspires violence against cops? And, you know, we live in bizarro world today. Mm-hmm. And we have uh, leaders of our government who come to the podium and they they don't even – it's not that they're lying, but they are telling an alternative narrative from the truth and you just want to scratch your head and so we're getting slap them silly
1: <laughs> silly, out silly. Love, love. yeah out of love, Ooh, love over there. <laughs> but
0: but it is going to take what todd talked about at watermark today um, about approaching it from a, a spiritual viewpoint as well and understanding that we don't want to look at people as just a group but we've got to look at individual lives and when somebody says something, we need to listen and we need to engage them. And if we have the truth, we need to share that with them. And that is the problem on the other side of the aisle. Or, you know, when when cops are all looked at as all bad. I heard uh, Ben Carson last night say he's a surgeon and he's a good surgeon, but there are some bad surgeons out there. And if we only talked about the surgeons that made mistakes, you'd never want to go to the hospital and have an operation or go where you could be healed. And so we have got to look at people individually, and I do think that people are getting sick of this, and it is going to impact the election. I
1: mm-hmm. love both your answers, thank you so much. We are really short in time for a break. Coming up in the next segment, we're gonna have a great guest on, Katherine Engelbright. She is the founder of True the Vote. Talk about someone who's gotten on a mission and is taking flack, she's been thick-skinned, she keeps it up, but this is really important. This election year 2016 we got to have fair elections, and Catherine Engelbright can talk more about that, so don't go away. America, can we talk? And welcome back to America, Can We Talk? We have just a great guest joining us in this segment, and probably everyone listening has heard of her. It's Catherine Englebright. She is the founder of True the Vote. Hi, Catherine. Hey, Debbie. Thanks
5: for having me.
1: Oh, so glad you could come on. I'm just so grateful we worked this out. I think we had you scheduled one time not too long ago, and uh, there was flooding in Houston, or Houston area where you live, and we rescheduled. But just so glad you could come on. And, you know, we've been talking this whole show, um, really, about up until now, about what happened in Dallas last week. And um, I just thought it was important to dedicate a bunch of time to talk about both what happened and and how we move forward as a country past it and, and how do we not just get past it, but heal it. And so we are completely changing gears to also a very important topic, which is how we, in America, can do the best thing we can do to make sure that our elections are secure and they have integrity, that we have integrity in the election cycle. So I guess I'd love to have you start, if you would, Catherine. Just tell our listeners a little bit about founding of True the Vote and what you do. Sure. We started True the Vote in 2010
5: um, as a a local project that was aimed at getting people involved in working in the polls because that there, there was a need for poll watchers. But what we soon learned was that that need was far more extensive than we had anticipated, not just because there's a shortage of volunteers, but because there are problems from, from top to bottom in our electoral process that uh, make it vulnerable and easy to manipulate for those that, that would, would try to do so. And so we started an effort to really focus on training and research and support of citizens so that they know how they can, in their own local elections, play a role, from making sure the voter rolls are accurate to making sure that the polling places are well-staffed and, uh, in the end, making sure that they're upholding free and fair elections for everyone.
1: I love that. That uh, That's a very, very big... uh Bite you! <laughs> That's a big bite you took, um, because there just it seems like it's uh, endless concerns we have in America uh, on that subject. So in this 2016 election cycle, I mean, I know that in 2012 there are many, many people who felt like I, I just don't. I, they were shocked by the results and. Kind of gotten to questioning, were the, were the elections fair, and so and 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 do we really get the answer that did the outcome match how the voters really voted? But right. in, yeah, so in 2016, what do you see as the major challenges to the potential, um, you know, to to keep the elections fair, this election fair?
5: Well, I mean, it's it's frankly, it's not going to be much different than it was in in 2012, and in fact, it'll be, uh, if anything, worse than it was then because there have been. Uh, a number of our of our states that have gone to all mail in ballots uh, over these over the over the years in between, and uh, that is mail in is just uh, you know a magnet for voter fraud. Um, the biggest problem that we have uh, with with respect to election integrity is is just that frankly it's not given the priority that it should be uh, when you consider the significance of its of its outcomes. Um, everything from voter rolls being uh, unchecked going into the election and bloated with millions of names that shouldn't be on the rolls, all the way through to problems with uh, the process, including the processing of of, uh, votes through electronic voting machines. And um, blanketed over all of that is the knowledge that America has the lowest voter turnout of any country in the industrialized world and so if you are looking to cheat an election, you can, you can quickly connect the dots and figure out where, when, and how uh, to make those numbers work in your favor. I, you know, I often say you don't need a whole lot of fraud. You just need a little fraud in the right places, and you may as well have uh, won yourself an election.
1: Wow, you know, I did. We I did know America has an astonishingly low voter turnout, but I never connected that dot. That it just fewer numbers, so a small number could really cause an election to flip to be to be fraudulent. So, I know that you guys uh, at True the Vote were are speaking this evening with Catherine Englebright founder of True the Vote. So, what can you do? Your organization do, or the volunteers do? Who are with you to to try to challenge. I mean, I tell you, the part that gets me the most concerned is, is, is electronic voter fraud, manipulation of the data in the voting machines. Do you have any projects you've undertaken to try to address that? Well,
5: that in and of itself is, is one of the more challenging pieces, and the reason is because the country moved to electronic equipment uh, in the belief that it would be more secure. But You know, in in the age of anonymous, in the age where it seems like every time you turn around, some massive and uh, hyper secure database has been hacked yet again. Uh, It it doesn't you know it doesn't require much wonderment to to imagine how you could you know you could uh, kick the wires out of some of the equipment that runs up at those polling places that volunteers have put together, mind you. And uh, and Jimmy the numbers. So how do you how do you affect that particular piece? actually can't wait until election day it has to happen before when you are uh, part of efforts to take a close look at the kind of equipment that your state uses to be there when they're calibrated to be there before and after the polls close to make sure the numbers match there's a number of steps all of all things that we try to uh, bring awareness to inside of our organization but it's none of it is easy this is this is not a not an easy uh task to take on but um we're the only pro-Liberty National Group doing it, so we feel like we have to keep it up.
4: Hi, Catherine. It's Dorinda Randall. Um, you came to Golden Quarter and spoke one time. I don't know if you remember out here in, out in Plano, but um, I was calling. There, I was talk, wanting to talk to you about the corrupted cards that I've heard Laura Presley talk about when it comes to the voting machines. And just wondering, is there? what do you think is the most safe and effective way for voting at this time?
5: Well, truth be told, uh, the most effective way I ever saw uh, an election conducted was, believe it or not, hold on to your hats, uh, in Mexico City. Mm. I, uh, I and a <laughs> small contingent of True the Vote traveled to Mexico uh, because we had just grown weary of being told or hearing that um, the Mexican-American population is against voter ID because it's, it's somehow... Uh, disenfranchises them. Well, every Latin American country has voter identification, photo voter identification. And so I was trying to sort of make the pieces fit Mm -hmm. and uh, ended up going to Mexico to to understand how their election process works. And, you know, make no mistake, they have have other problems that fortunately our country isn't faced with at the level that, that they have to deal with on a regular basis right now. But actual process is a thing of beauty. They, again, believe it or not, vote with paper ballots. The way that it works, though, is, is simplified to a place that, that is so technologically sophisticated yet so easy to understand and work with. So if you think about the uh, securities that are built into legal tender here in our states, imagine a paper ballot. That, that is serialized and has the same kinds of embedded coatings and holograms and everything that, that our dollar bill has uh, in inside of a paper ballot, and then couple that with um, a, a country that is committed to training millions of poll watchers every year and making sure that all the polling places are filled. Uh, you know, you may have heard that uh, in 2012 where there were uh, more votes than... Uh, than registered voters in a county for, for a given candidate or or counties that had zero votes for Romney and only votes for Obama, in, in those instances in Mexico, that would have automatically triggered a recount. I mean, oh. I could literally, I could spend oh. the rest of the program talking about some some of the fundamental differences, but it requires an active and engaged electorate to finally get to a place where they say, enough is enough.
3: Mm-hmm.
5: We don't trust the outcome and something has to be done and that's that's what happened in that country and the result of it was an improved process but, but we're not quite there yet.
1: You know we only have about one minute left in this segment and I do want to ask you if you can hold on through the break for just a couple more minutes. Do, can you do that? Sure, of course. Okay so we're not, less than a minute here but I do want to ask you do you find cooperation from the state legislators as you work around the country or in Washington do you have it? I guess I'll just po- po- pose the question. You can answer after the break. But are there particular items you're trying to get changed in state legislatures in the in the way? Are, are you pushing? I'll ask you. Are you pushing agenda items now in state legislatures or in Congress to impact the fall elections? Or is it kind of too late for that?
5: Well, yeah, it's too late for that this fall. In fact, it, we're only a few days away from the polls being or the books being sealed and the lockdown for the general election. So uh, the, the days are ticking away now. But, yes, we absolutely have bigger things ahead, and I'd be glad to talk with you about them.
1: Great. I'm so happy to hear that. We're speaking with Catherine Englebright, founder of True the Vote. And we. this is uh, my leading lady, senator, Jarendra Randall, Chris Davis. This is Debbie Giorgettis and America Can We Talk, where we talk truth about America. And we're going to come back and talk a little more with Catherine Englebright about truth in our voting process. Don't go away. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. We are speaking this evening with Catherine Engelbright, the founder of True the Vote. And I should tell our listeners, too, uh, Catherine's organization is mostly made up of volunteers, maybe all volunteers. Is that right?
5: Uh, All, but, but, but about three of us are volunteers, yes.
1: Yeah, you know, that is an amazing thing. We talk a lot about the greatness on this show, a lot about the greatness and the goodness of America and people, especially, you know, being involved in politics. I've been a poll watcher, an election judge, an election clerk, and all those things. And it's just so, I mean, it, the entire process is made up of volunteers. And I'm thrilled to hear you can do the same thing with your organization. And it really just speaks to people valuing. I hear like water in the background, people valuing your um, election, the the election process. So, Catherine, um, you said you had, before the break, I was asking you, you have occasionally, your organization, True the Vote, has pushed some um, pieces of legislation or urge legislation. What kinds of things do you work on?
5: Well, right now, um, I think there there are three things that we're focusing on. One, at the federal level, two, at the state, just broadly. There are certainly things state by state, but broadly... uh, first i'll take the one at the federal level federally there is a very troubling act afoot that is the second priority of the of the platform that hillary clinton put out called the voting rights act amendment uh, the voting rights act was uh, first drawn up in the early 60s and it is the piece that uh... Gave the department of justice rights to descend into any state election process and uh, continue on with this sort of ongoing battle of, uh, of voter suppression, voter intimidation, and use it for, for their political advantage. We've seen it weaponized in these, in, under this current administration well. Um, again, time is short, but the Supreme Court overthrew elements of it that really kept the good parts of it and equalized out the bad parts of it and brought it up to date. So it was a great thing that the, that the Supreme Court decided on. Uh, namely, it got the Department of Justice out and now the amendment act uh is positioned to put hooks via the the this this act into every state so the department of justice can uh at its own discretion take over state elections and and i kid you not when i say the next thing uh that you're again you won't believe but they propose to separate voters by the color of their skin no Uh, yes it is absolutely the case and decide, uh, decide according by, by, by vote weight, uh, which, which American counts for a greater weighted value of a vote. So the principle of one man, one vote uh, is perilously close to extinction. That's the kind of stuff that's being talked about at the federal level. Uh, at the state level, the biggest problems I think that we really see, um, I mean, again, I, I, there are many, but brought, the 30,000-foot I would say the, the, the push towards automatic voter registration and online voting, um, we can't let ourselves be confused with the, the fact that that's a very con- those are con- very convenient concepts, but you know, digitizing a broken process is, is still a broken process. It's just faster. So those are the kinds of things at the state level that we're, that we're keeping an eye on.
1: Okay, we're speaking with Catherine Englebright, who just said something in the last five minutes that the three of us who are complete political wonks and read everything imaginable, all have been staring at each other with their mouths open. Okay, had not heard this about Hillary Clinton and the, uh, apparent, the agenda, apparently, to do a major amendment to the Voting Rights Act. Even the first part that you mentioned this amendment, <laughs> where it would actually put the federal government in charge of elections in the various states. Right. Uh, well,
5: Go ahead. Right. So, I mean, again, you know, like, like, like all good legislation, it's not simple to describe. So, I'm, I'm giving you the high points, uh, but, but down in the weeds, essentially, if you, if you think about the states that, uh, as, without, with, with only one exception, only New Hampshire being the only exception, every other state that's enacted photo voter identification or voter ID generally has been sued quickly by the Department of Justice. Every state that has now has has photo voter identification in place would immediately, under the covenant of this new um, amendment, would immediately be put under the aegis of the Department of Justice.
1: Oh, so it's designed for any state that wants to have voter ID, then the DOJ takes over their voter process. Oh, my Um, gosh, Kathy. Well,
5: yeah, they're just the top of the list. Everybody is, is on the target. Those are just the bullseye right out of the gate states. Okay. It is incredibly disturbing.
1: Is, uh, uh, we're flabbergasted. So where is it? C- can someone listening to the show or even, the three of us here, tell us where to go read about this. Do you have this written up on your website on True the Vote? Or? We do. Um, I, I would like to say that you could search
5: the Voting Rights um, Amendment Act our act, Voting Rights Act amendment. Um, however, what I will do at the conclusion of my interview is I will shoot you over the latest version of the bill and what we've written to, the, to this point on it so that you can post it wherever you'd like to. Um, and maybe that would be a, a quicker way for your listeners to, to grab information. Uh, it, it, it really is outrageous. It, so far it has not passed, but given the, the perfect storm that faces us in November, uh, and the priority that this has been given by the by the Clinton camp, um, we now have more to worry about than ever before.
1: I'm simply flabbergasted. I, I'm well. I can't wait to get your material. In fact, before after we hang up, um, when we're done, and before you hang up, if you can talk to Neil, and he can let you know where you should send that information, I'm I'm blown away. But Chris Davis has a question here. She's been. Do you have something? Hey for-
0: there. I I am so glad to read that your uh, True the Vote is a nonpartisan organization. But, you know, I worked at Dallas County about four years ago, and when the Democrats took over the county courthouse, um, they they took over the elections department, too. And one thing sure. I noticed was um, their, their main emphasis was on voter registration, not mm-hmm. on voter security or voter integrity. But it is, and they were going into the high schools, they were using, uh, you know, county money to print up T-shirts, to send people, you know, into all the high schools to vote, and... I love that you are um, on a, you know, both sides should want fair mm-hmm. elections. That's sure. know, everybody give it your best shot and may the best person fairly win. But um, I, I just think people need to know that you're a nonpartisan organization. And that Ab- you,
5: absolutely, yeah. absolutely nonpartisan. You know, we make no mistake. We need more than one party in this country. We need that debate, uh, you know, the, the the challenge that we face right now is that what used to be Republican and Democrat and what used to divide us, um, you know, while those while those issues you know raged in their day, we always had this common core to come back to. Even now, common core is of course <laughs> not the right thing to say. But I mean, we had common principles where we believed in the, in the American dream. We believed that America was truly an exceptional country, and that is, thats in, men, in many ways, that's no longer true. We don't have ties that bind anymore, and that's what makes mm-hmm. this political climate so dangerous. I mean, I'll be the first to tell you that if, if you are an eligible voter, then by all means, any, any way we can uh, encourage or inform you uh, in, in participating, in, in becoming registered, then, then that's great. But, but, Chris, to your point, there has to be equal weight, on making sure that the the voter rolls themselves are accurate, so to just bloat them with without ever maintaining them uh, is a recipe for disaster. So there's you know there's like everything there, there must be checks and balances. But for for many reasons the the conservative movement has sort of taken their eyes off of off of this focus and and looked looked on to other things and, and that's all fine and well but everything that we debate, everything that makes up our politics presupposes a free and fair election. And when that is gone, you know, it's it's
1: yeah, been that's in a
0: Republican. That's to their peril if they're elected conservatives.
1: It is right. and you have to say, <laughs> Catherine, the problem is there are so many, many pressing issues and I think myself the things I tend to focus tend to focus on I know that free and fair elections mean everything. If we don't have those, then we don't really have the republic that we thought we had in America. But um, it's a wonderful reminder. Well, we're pretty much out of time here. I want to ask you, first of all, my friend is texting me, telling me I'm pronouncing your last name wrong. So would you please say your name correctly? I'm sorry <laughs> I'm sorry if I have been. Believe me, I have been called worse. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's Catherine Ingelbrecht. So you sort of can throw that
5: F on the end there.
1: <laughs> okay, Correct. thank you very much. I shall not do that again. This My last name is Georgiadis. This is Debbie Addis and America Can We Talk. We're going to um, thank you, Catherine, so much for calling in and encourage our listeners to go to your website, which is, can you quick say the name of your website? Sure, truethevote.org. Okay, truethevote.org. Catherine, thank you so much for calling in and hang on for Neil. He's going to give you an email address to send that information, which we are going to share on our Facebook page. And for our happy listeners, I want to just ask you, we have just a couple seconds until our break, so I'll ask you a quiz question over there. You get ladies paying attention, we got Mm -hmm, a quiz here. mm -hmm. Okay, so Rasmussen did a poll that asked, what percent of Americans think the FBI should have indicted Hillary Clinton? What do you think?
4: 99 percent.
1: No, that's just your household (laughs) now. What do you think? 64 percent. Very qu cla- yeah, fifty four percent said she should have been indicted wow. Fifty four. That's pretty good. Okay, after the break we're gonna talk about <laughs> Hillary, James Comey, the FBI, and what in the world is happening to the rule of law. Don't go back. Don't go away, come right back. And welcome back to the final segment. This is, I say quite often, this is the shortest two hours of my week. Every week I'm always flabbergasted we get this point in the show is only f- uh, one segment left and we have so much more to talk about. I do want to take a moment to thank the sponsor for our show, which I am so happy to do every week. Our show is sponsored by GC works, which is a Dallas based company that performs research in advanced technology and delivers innovative approaches to the oil and gas industry. Many thanks to GC works. I so appreciate them. So I can sit here and talk about politics every week, which just keeps me awake at night. This show is like such a release. Um, i also wanted to mention uh next week we have some kind of interesting guests coming on and um i want to mention them tonight there is an international economics forum that is, a, is the world tour of, uh, for economic freedom as put on by some of the leading economists in the world, free market economists in the world. One is Dr. Barbara Combe, who's the head of the Hayek Institute in Austria. And the other is Prince Michael von Liechtenstein of the country of Liechtenstein. He actually is a prince. And uh, they will both be here next week. They're on that tour talking about... Um, just talking about economic freedom around the world and the trends away and and how countries are doing when they embrace economic freedom and when they don't. So there'll be a really exceptional show. And then we also have Kathleen Hartnett White coming on who um, never continue, never fails to amaze us with the knowledge she has about how the green energy people are really actually making on a path to make life miserable for America, and they're working hard at it. And so you got to keep on standing up for the free uh, use of fossil fuels and other energy. So great show next week. In this segment, uh, this last little time we have, I want to hit on just you know it was a, it was amazing how the news cycle went this week. It was the hugest news that the FBI, after a year's investigation, and uh, came out essentially and said they all sorts of terrible things about Hillary Clinton and how she was bad and reckless and careless. But we see no reason to prosecute her. And so that was going to be the big theme of the show until we had, of course, a horrible incident in Dallas, so uh, involving our Dallas police officers. So I want to play a quick segment, a quick clip from Hillary on clip nine, saying what she didn't do versus reality. I did not email any um, classified material to anyone on my email. There is no classified materials. I never sent or received any classified material. They are retroactively classifying it. From the group of 30,000 emails returned to the State Department in 2014, 110 emails in 52 email chains have been determined by the owning agency to contain classified information at the time they were sent or received. So that second voice you were hearing was the um, FBI director, James Comey, who made a, a a relatively unusual statement to the press. He actually went through the entire, uh, he summarized very well in great detail what the department did to investigate this uh, email scandal of Hillary Clinton, which... In case you don't know, but I'm sure you do, involves Hillary Clinton setting up a private email server in her home, contrary to clear state uh, State Department policy, um, and transmitting, as you now heard, even though she lied about it, you know, transmitting secret, including top secret information, on this unsecured server. And we're going to talk about in a moment many of the findings James Comey came to. But you know, this this is a woman who wants to be your president. And she can't tell the truth to save her life. I thought we'd be talking about this for an hour in this show. I don't know if you guys had any reaction to add to that. Yeah, reaction
0: so is that, in my opinion, Hillary Clinton is an unindicted felon. And uh, I'm wondering if James... Co- Did you hear that? No, you guys got to say it again. Um, all right. In my opinion, Hillary Clinton is an unindicted felon. And <laughs> I'm go. wondering if uh, James Comey and John Roberts went out and had a drink after his... Yeah. <laughs>
1: press conference (laughs) yeah you know it's a really is an astonishing thing because i thought we we were actually on vacation we took a week away with the kids um our young adult kids and when they announced there was going to be a a press conference we actually took a break from lounging and talking and turned the television on to listen and as i listened to james comey going on, we thought wow he's actually going to recommend an indictment when he was done vilifying her, raking her over the coals, pointing out how astoundingly irresponsible she was. The conclusion was like, like disconnected from the facts. Well, and I think I think he did a great job
4: for us. I mean, he gave us everything bullet point uh, formatted, saying what was what was going on. And then at the end, he had to say, "Uh, bet she's Hillary Clinton. so
1: <laughs> That's about what he said. Now, come on here. Because he on. even said, not only would she not be indicted, but he also said that, um, now this is not to say that someone else who didn't do exactly, did the same thing, wouldn't be indicted. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this is the Hillary Clinton exception to all rules. And that is actually kind of what I want to get around to in this final little tiny segment we have left, um, which is, You know, Hillary has a long history. We have six minutes and we have 95 things to say. But Hillary has a long history uh, of, you know, not just engaging in wrongdoing, but kind of in control of the entire apparatus in Washington. So nothing happens to her. And those of you who are over the age of, you know, 40, I'll say, would have heard of these things. Whitewater. You guys remember Whitewater? Yeah. Travelgate. Troopergate the FBI files gate that would always bug me the FBI files just as one example because even when they pointed out no someone took these from the FBI and there and how they get here there was number one no no ever acknowledgement of what happened but more importantly there was no I mean she never was held responsible she never answered the questions and the last it was reported they never returned the files these are like, this is, I'll tell you my new title for Hillary. I, I want to call her Hillary Sniper Fire Clinton because that's one of the biggest lies. It was just completely ridiculous. She claimed she landed in Bosnia under sniper fire <laughs> when she was first lady, which is complete fabrication. But the real thing is she's the tyrant in waiting. Mm-hmm. She's just waiting She's now been told by Comey, don't worry, everything you did, we're just going to let it go. So, I I don't want, there's a a long list, and we would run out of time in the show, but the law firm records are Bimbo Eruption Squad, the White House, on and on, China Gate, Pardon Gate. But what I want to tell you guys about, and and just it's interesting where we stand in America and the young people not knowing who she is. So, there was this um, person who went to uh, a group called Campus Reform. And they went to, uh, they hosted college students and they listed a, a series of things and asked them, which of the candidates do you think did this, Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton? And so they would read this list of things. The candidate wore a $12,000 suit while giving a speech on income inequality. <laughs> 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 um, the candidate accepted millions of dollars from the kings of Saudi Arabia, Morocco, and Oman. This candidate said they carry hot sauce with them everywhere they go to pander to black voters. (laughs) This candidate made a joke about colored people time. This candidate suggested a 12-year-old rape victim made up accusations because uh, the child enjoyed fantasizing about older men. So when they read all those things, these college kids who think they're just... They all said, Donald Trump, Donald Trump. Has to be Donald Trump. They're all Hillary Clinton. Wow. Yeah, and the college kids kind of said... You know what? I mean, the point of doing this, I hope, is more than just to dazzle them, but to make them think, do I really know this person, this candidate?
4: But does she get to say, hey, I evolved since then, (laughs) so I'm totally a different person now. And would the young kids just go, oh, she does have a D after her name, and maybe she did evolve. She's really cool. She's a Democrat. And Obama's
1: with her. so She's too big to fail. She is too big to fail. She's Teflon. That is the that is the, um, the sadness of it. I will say, I think it's our job on this show. We said it actually last year on the show. The real job of the show forever is always going to be to tell truth about America, to inspire people to embrace the reasons America is exceptional and great and wonderful and talk about them. But in this election cycle, it is to make sure people know what they're going to get with Hillary. She is like the tyrant in waiting. She's never been accountable for conduct. She never has it to pay a price for anything she's done wrong. She continues squelching women, embarrassing and crushing women who dare to speak up about her husband's amorous advances toward other women. She just is never accountable, and it's like being a king, a queen.
4: Right. It is, and and that's where it, uh, it never ceases to amaze you. I really didn't think that she was going anything was gonna happen until after the election. I I was very surprised with Comey and what he did. But again, like I said, is I think he did us a huge favor because he gave us every bullet point and showed us
0: Well and as much as I have felt like I would have to hold my nose and vote for Trump, Trump's one who will use that information that's true. On crooked Hillary <laughs>
1: that, that is true. You know, it is a funny thing. I I think all our listeners know I, I have I, Trump was not my first choice by a long shot. I mean, I was really very, very not excited about him. But assuming the Republicans go forward in the GOP convention starting a week from tomorrow and actually give him the nomination, which is not entirely sure. But assuming they do that, no matter how much you dislike his rhetoric or his incomprehensible way of speaking, his incomprehensible policies, incomprehensible He's just, he's not Hillary. And I've gotten around to where, given how bad she is, that's good enough for me.
4: Well, and I hope, because of how much the Bernie Sanders kids are just freaked out and mad that she's the nominee,
1: I think that she, they
4: may they may stay home. And if they stay home, then maybe we can do this.
1: That would be great. And, you know, one other thing to say, our listeners, we're about out of time, about a minute left here. But, you know so much in our political thinking is geared toward November 8th. That's election day. We're going to have an election and things are going to be, you know, we're finally going to hopefully get get Obama out of there and, and get Trump in or Ted Cruz if he gets a nomination, but okay, Trump. <laughs> um, but, you know, that is the beginning of solving our problems. So much that has happened under Obama in the last eight years we're just starting to understand the consequence to America the divisions created the challenges so got a long way to go. Good thing we are going to be in this radio for a long, long time. This is Debbie Georgiadis on America Can We Talk with this week with Chris Davis and Dorinda Randall. I want to thank so much our guest, Catherine Engelbrecht who has joined us for to talk about True the Vote. And again, I want to express our deepest sympathy to all the families involved in the police shooting in Dallas this week. We offer our love and support and prayers. And I do think love is part of the answer and truth. Come back every week to America Can We Talk.
3: We
0: Thank you for listening to America Can We Talk with Debbie Georgiatis. To learn more or to contact Debbie, go to americacanwetalk.org. America Can
3: We Talk. Truth About America.